Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and we have today Adam Wainwright from Clary, Senior Director of Sales, Super Sonic Sales Cycle. Nick, why should people listen? Adam's got a lot of really powerful stuff. Are you talking faster in the intro? Truly amazing. But Adam does have some stuff to help you make your sale move faster. Everything from keeping one long email chain throughout the entire sales process to doing things that visually impress upon the buyer that you are actually making progress in getting them closer to the end state. So if you want to move your deal faster, what I recommend is put this episode on 2x speed so that you can get through even faster and go close some deals. Three, two, one, go! Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. 
All right, Adam, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Let's get them. So the the first takeaway for me from an actionable takeaway is this idea that you want to always at the start of every meeting anchor on our why statement. In this case, it's the why statement for the call. But the idea is, is that you really want to make sure that you're setting the tone with the people on the call in a way where you can easily ask for permission and alignment that, hey, after today's call, I will have done my job right if you walk away with an understanding of what we do. But better yet, you'll walk away with an appreciation of what we do. And it would certainly make sense that we make an introduction to the CRO or perhaps an audience as a good next step. And then you might say something like, are we aligned on that as a good outcome for today? Beautiful. What's number two? So number two is that we want to effectively chapter as best we can the content that we're sending in our emails. And the reason why is because the recipients who are getting our emails as we're helping, we're, we're helping our audience evaluate what we're doing and we're really trying to sell them on next steps, they may not necessarily have all the time in the world to read the length of our email. And so if we organize the email in a way and we're actually chapterizing some of the content that's coming through, A, it gives us an opportunity to maybe write a little bit longer of an email, a little more detail. But more importantly, when I open that email up and if I'm an executive buyer and I can quickly identify what the actual chapter headers are... It'll allow me to quickly kind of index what's important in the email. And then maybe I don't read the email. I come back to it later, but I know what I'm looking for. And so in that way, what we're doing is we're much more effectively communicating the purpose and the intent of the email, but in a way that gives my champion an opportunity to come back to it and get around to it when they have the the right amount of time. Beautiful. Round us out. What's number three? Number three is near and dear to my heart. This is something that I learned as a scrappy startup seller many, many years ago. And it's the idea that when you're in negotiation phase and you're actually working with legal counsel on the buyer side, always send two versions of your contracts. The contract version A, which is the red line, the bloody version, where you're actually negotiating with your counsel and their counsel. But also take that same contract save a copy of it where you've actually accepted all the red lines. And when you send both in an email to counsel, you say in the email, hey, if everything here looks good, if we're all copacetic, I've already taken the liberty to attach a completely clean version. All you have to do is respond, looks good, let's go. And in that case, what you've done is you've removed even just the few clicks that their legal counsel may have to go through if in fact they're actually comfortable with the actual red lines and they want to clean it up. If you remove that burden, they'll respect you for it and you can actually accelerate getting a deal done. In some cases, they'll even happily accept because maybe some of the red lines aren't necessarily all that. They're not really worth haggling over at this point anymore. So Adam, I know you're a super process-oriented, structured seller. Do you have an easy to understand, easily digestible framework, process, or structure such that it makes the final yes of the introduction of the CRO easier? So that all presents itself in the discovery process. If you can create what I just call the pain slide, and you can get them to effectively agree that, yeah, if you could solve some of those things, right, I would be interested in where this goes. If you can get them to do that in the first, let's call it 12 minutes, then when you're actually, perhaps you're demoing, or maybe you're doing more of a a deep structural unpacking of how their business operates, and so then you're now you're literally mapping that pain to value in the context of the workflow. So you're thinking left to right. What's the pain? I'm going to show them how we solve it, and I'm going to I'm going to ask them to corroborate 
that there's a solution that I've just shown them. That is how you're controlling for the yes momentum. And the good news is, is if you teed up that, that pain menu in the right way and you've gotten them that first yes to say, yeah, if you could solve my data problem or my execution problem or my visibility pain, if you can get them to generally agree on that, then you can then tee up your workflows, ask for confirmation and validation that in fact, they do see how you're going to help. Then you've built the momentum necessary that at the end, you can very confidently say, hey, per our first slide, per our initial agreement, would you say that, that you feel sufficiently educated about Clary? And if so, a next good step would be to do the following, as I'd mentioned. Does that, something, does that make sense? Does that sound like a good next step? Can you talk to me about what you actually put on that pain slide and how you tee it up? Because my guess is you didn't just write the word execution problem, data problem, forecast problem, pull up the slide and say, which one is, is you? I love that question. It's one thing to come up with a pain menu. The most important part in my experience around the idea of presenting pain is that the first thing you want to avoid is having just pain in a box, static list of pains. Instead, what you're trying to do is create a narrative around how these pains are interconnected and in many cases compounding. And if your narrative when you're showing the pain menu is one where hey, listen, customers will typically come to us to solve for the following things, but it typically starts here, right? It starts with a lack of good data because at the end of the day, we don't really want our reps spending all of their time jockeying and administering data. We want them in the field talking to customers. And so with good reason, your CRM perhaps has a bunch of holes in it, right? But the problem now is, is that now your managers don't exactly know where and what is healthy. They don't have a good, clear perspective on what's happening in the pipeline. And so when you kind of tell the pain, when you use a compounding or a flywheel narrative to bring the, con the concept of the pain slide to life, then what you can ask is, and you have to do, this is a critical part of the step. Hey, customer, do any of these resonate with you? Boom. Now they're going to say to you, one of, they're either going to say, yes, you got to solve all of them, or they're going to be nitpicky. They're going to have a they're going to have a point of view. They're going to feel good about something that you said, and they maybe not feel as good about another. And you might just simply say, "Hey, help me stack rank these, right? If I could solve one or two of them, what might be the most pressing, or what might be one of priority today?" And now you're honing in on something that you can be super productive. I call this the strike zone. So, Adam, I love this concept of you're describing these problems in story order, right? And what you're doing is you're walking through those stories so they can put themselves in your shoes and they can say, not this part of my day, not that part of my day, but yeah, that part of my day, that's the one that's really painful, right? And so you talk about identifying the strike zone, right? And then eventually mapping pain to value, what have you. My guess is by the end of the call, you know where the strike zone is. And if you've done a good job, you've also identified two or three places that you can solve a problem for them. So at the end of this call, to go back all the way to the wrap up, are you doing some sort of recap or are you explaining where the strike zone is? How do you wrap this thing up before setting that next step? Yeah, I love that. When you get to the end and you are asking for the next step, you can weave in sort of a quick play-by-play -play recap. And the reason why you want to do it is because what you'll typically see is the person who you were just talking to, they're going to nod their head and say like, he gets it. He or she gets it. If you kind of see that visual indication that you've done a pretty good job recapping, guess what you have? You have the blueprint 
for a follow-up, either asset or a component of that email, one of those chapters of the business objectives that we're going to continue to anchor on at the top of every meeting going forward. In the event that you don't have a good amount of time to recap, you're just simply going to say something like, hey, I got a, a lot of I got a lot of really good information today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and send you a quick recap email. Do we have some time to perhaps go ahead and get that audience booked so that we can take the conversation deeper or we can go into a technical step or we can satisfy whatever we had sold as the step in the process that's next? You just go ahead and go for it. And usually if you got yeses, they're going to be, they're going to say, look, I know we got three minutes. Let's go ahead and book it. And they're going to promise, look, you're going to get a nice debrief from me after this call. And we're going to talk about all, and I'm going to simply summarize for you so that you've got something that's transferable for your team. Uh, so that when we come into our next meeting, we've got a really nice set of objectives that we're going to be solving for. And that meeting will have a lot of value to them when they come in. You said a very specific word that I presently have written on a post-it note and taped to my monitor, which is the word playback. And anytime somebody gives me a riff, I'm going, let me just play back what I heard from you. And you just restate what they said. And what you're then doing is you are watching the other person's face when you are playing things back. And if they're sitting there nodding their head, smiling, clearly saying this guy gets it, what's going off in your mind is ding, 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 this is going to be included in my recap email. If they're just sitting there and they're like, mm -hmm, yeah, you got it right. That's right. Okay, maybe that doesn't need to be included. But you're watching and seeing what resonates and that's what dictates goes in that recap. I want to ask you about the recap because I'm a voracious reader and I often read chapters of books and I don't know what to title the chapters of my recap email. So I'm wondering if you can talk to me about maybe the three or four key elements to make that email as action oriented for the other person as possible. The first thing I'm saying in the email is grateful for your time. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, so-and-so, so-and-so, really grateful. It sounds like there's genuine interest in exploring this further, you're kind of reminding them that they they had there was a there was positive sentiment on the call. The second thing you say is what we learned. We you want to make sure it's inclusive of both parties. What we learned, right? Colon, and then you give a quick little recap of what you learned. You give a nice sentence or two that summarizes what was learned on the call, what was discussed, and then maybe two or three bullet points. Never more than three. Now you're laser focused on the things that were identified as potential business objectives. Maybe you're reminding them of pain that came up, but you're sort of, you're teeing up the summary. The next chapter is how I can help you. If you can remember one or two things that they responded to positively, add, address those. Hey, you really, you know, the, a single pane of glass where you've got both dashboards and an actionable system to observe and pressure test pipeline, right? Now you don't have to context switch or move to different applications, whatever it may be. So now you're effectively selling the value and now you've got the early lattice work for a future follow-up business objectives slash where we're going to help kind of slide and or asset that you may use in the following means. So what we learned, how we can help. Then the third one, I'm sneaky. Sometimes you do one of two things. You can either end it with sort of the call to action. Hey, based on what we've discussed, this is what we had agreed that we would go ahead and do. In the context of that, when you're suggesting times, always manually suggest no more than two, two times. I don't want them to have to go search their calendar for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, slot three, slot four, slot, just two examples. But the bonus chapter might be one of two. If you feel like there was genuine momentum, you might simply say investment and ROI, colon, and you simply say, hey, I need some inputs so I can get to work running in parallel 
some outputs of the return and or what our customers might see given you know the size of your business. But if you are talking to power and you've got good yes momentum, introduce it because they're going to feel good about maybe getting to a number sooner. You don't share the number, you just get the inputs. Always say at the tail end of that thing, ballpark is fine. Don't make them chase down data. Give them the freedom to fudge it because you don't care about the specifics. You just want them to know that you're going to go get to work for them. That's it. And then the last one is sequence of events. So what you can do is you can say, hey, from here, here are the things that we have to do, right? They're going to happen. And you're effectively selling the process in just about four bullet points. The first one is deck and demo. Strike that out. We visually indicated that we're making progress. I'm a part of a cycle. Then step two, outline what that might be and give it and make sure it's time bound. And then you do it for two, three, and four. Example might be technical step, commercial review, right? And then um, implementation. And if you just plant a really simple sequence of events, you can get them focused on the process and how easy it is. They're going to be more likely to facilitate steps when you come asking. So, Adam, let's recap your recap. There were five chapters. It was what we learned, how we can help, suggest two to three times, and then possibly insert inputs that could help us build a proposal. And then lastly, a sequence of events, which is my personal favorite because sometimes a joint execution plan or a mutual action plan, sending the entire thing after a first call can be a little bit overwhelming, but it's almost like a mini map. So you can still have that, but then you can tease out three, four, five steps, the simple version until you get deeper in the process. So unbelievable recap. The next call is typically what for you? Is that a call with power? Is that a technical validation call? Is it a deep dive demo? Talk me through what the next step is typically. Usually the second call is going to be a call with a broader audience and I'm still selling value. But when it's not, it's always a technical call. The very first thing where people botch the step is they fail to anchor on the purpose of the call in a way that's easy. It's not a time suck. It's actually a constructive use of my time. Because to your point, the people that I'm bringing on this call, they probably never heard of Clary, right? And they've been directed by somebody with a lot of authority to potentially to, to come in and review this stuff. And so now your anchor slide, right, is going to be tailored to them. Hey, really appreciate you making a few minutes for us today, guys, just so that we're all aligned on the outcome for today. We're going to do four things. We're going to open up Salesforce. We're going to try to identify what your amount fields are and if they're custom or not, and if they're formula fields. We're going to look at your Salesforce hierarchy. We want to understand, is it flat? Does it got complexity to it? We want to look at your sales processes and how your reps are actually managing the click-through in Salesforce to advance cycles. That's going to inform our machine learning model, right? So we're going to want to explore that and unpack that. And then we're going to also look at any other sheets, offline, spreadsheets, right? Whatever it may be, homing pigeon in terms of how you might capture your numbers so that we can kind of put it all together for clarity. And so I put something up on the screen and I, and I kind of bullet those four things out. And now guess what happens? The technical audience who's kind of like, I was just, I, I'm just showing up. Now they're like, oh, I, okay, cool. Let's go. Where do you want to start? And if you do that right now, the meeting is easy. It's not forced. It's not a waste of their time. It's not that they've just been jockeyed to do a thing. They're actually contributing to something that will probably remove some burden from their day as well. So what you're doing consistently is you're saying, these are the four things we're going to do. 
We're going to cross them off the list. These are the next four things we're going to do. We're going to cross them all the list. You're showing two or three blocks down. You're not trying to show three miles of distance on your map because you can't even see that far. Okay. And so we get to the end of those four steps in technical validation. I remember you said oftentimes a sales engineer is running this call. After the call, you have a very specific type of email that you have the sales engineer send to continue this concept of striking off steps. Could you walk us through what do you send once you finish technical validation? Yes, I love this. Thank you for this. this is an excellent question. So when we're really trying to control for the outcomes, in this case, the objective when I sell is for speed. I favor speed uh, to the best that I can. One thing that you can do is you can actually create a moment. What I call is it's really a capstone moment where after that technical call has taken place, you sit down with your SE and you kind of get the readout. Hey, look, this looks like, yes, we can help them and everything is more or less, this is maybe part and parcel with uh, the kinds of examples of customers we bring on, right? In the event that it's a, it's a, it's a standard lift, you're going to ask your SE to send a technical follow-up. So the customer is going to get an email from the SE same day, if possible. And in that email, it's, hey, customer, really appreciate your time. Great news. You are a green solution fit, and in this case, what you might even do is literally just copy and paste from a Google Excel, copy and paste the table in. Why? It feels technical when they see the table. It's not just highlighted words. It's actually a technical table with column headers, you know, right? Status, green fit, time to deploy, two to eight weeks, eight to six, whatever, standard time, green, green, green. Each box is green, right? And so now, and then of course, they complete their email with, any additional insights, some things that were discussed, all technical, right? And it's for the it's for the audience, and it's going to feel a little bit heady to those of us who are on the AE side, but that's okay. That creates a mental map that we have successfully come out of the back end of this phase of the evaluation. We are technically done with the technical evaluation. Send that email off, and then guess what? The AE comes right over the top with the champion or the DM or whoever is a part of that process, now the AE is talking to that person. So SE is communicating to the technical recipient and with the technical recipient still CC'd, now the AE is talking to the DM and is saying, awesome, thanks SE, you know, first name, that's great to hear. Looks like you guys are gonna be a, a low lift level of effort to deploy, which means we can get you to value sooner, right? And now I'm doing the sort of fun, the amped up thing and guess what I'm sending them? a new SOE with a new strikeout. Hey, from here, this is what happens. Step two done, moving on to the next one. And if if done correctly, maybe all that's left is a commercial negotiation. Hey, given those inputs that you've given me, I've now got enough to come to you. Let's go ahead and take 30 minutes and review how we price our product. So Adam actually did this to me when I bought Clary from him a couple years ago when I was working at PAVE. And PAVE was an earlier stage company at the time. I think we had three to five reps, give or take. And one of the concerns that I had is we didn't have a big RevOps team. We didn't have a big sales ops team, right? And I was wondering, am I big enough for this thing yet, right? Am I ready for this? Is it going to be a bunch of work on me, right? And I remember two things. One, to my sales ops guy, Adam's team said, 
green, you're ready to go. This is going to be easier than expected effectively. That's what you're doing with the green dot. You're giving me the Mario Kart booster pad saying, oh, this is going to be faster implementation than we originally thought. And I was like, this is awesome. And the other thing that Adam did for me, the non-technical person, is he was also in a similar leadership position as I was. And he was like, this doesn't make sense for everyone, but for you guys, you guys are a really good fit for this thing. And here's why. And I was like, oh my God, this makes sense. I'm not crazy for thinking that this was too early. Instead, this is lining up both with what I want to do in our phase of company, and I don't have to worry about the sales ops implementation. So I have fewer reservations about moving forward quickly. And so that actually works as someone who's seen it on the buy side. So Adam, after this whole technical validation thing, you go through the green light email that's coming from the sales engineer. Again, there might be two or three steps. Let's say, for example, you get to proposal phase. Okay. And I remember there was a very specific way that you presented the proposal to me when you were selling Clary as well. Can you walk through in that proposal deck? What are the three or four slides or the order of information that you're showing in that deck? So what I like to do when I'm trying to effectively build a reason for my buyer to lean in on a commercial investment, right? I like to walk through what I call a hero's journey. But at the end of the day, it more or less sounds something to the effect of, Here's the first thing that we're the first thing we're anchoring on in this case now is the business objectives that we've agreed are the things that Armand cares about. And they are strategically aligned, not only with what he's doing tactically, practically, but in a way where he can communicate up the chain that this is good for us because it's going to help my CEO accomplish the big picture, tippy top of the pyramid thing, which might be get to a hundred million or double our revenue next year or expand into new you know new sam or whatever it may be whatever those big strategic hairy audacious goals are right what i want to do is i want to make sure i'm doing what i can to sort of reference how we're aligned against that and then i take them through the hero's journey so now i've made you sort of feel good a little bit about the we're aligned and i talk through some of the roi and no one wants to go through an roi story but if you do it in a way where there's a narrative they're going to feel good about the idea that there's a couple of things that i have to listen to and I'm going to get through it. It's got to be fun. But your return is going to come to you, not necessarily in like net new revenue, but it might come to you in a tremendous amount of time saved, right? It certainly will come to you in terms of skip stepping the, the next two years of friction filled revenue operations, plumbing work that you have to do as you continue to scale your business. And so if you've got a nice subset of, of, of time based returns, then I can effectively drop the number. When I drop the number, I move you through that. No one wants to hear it, but I get you through it. Now I'm in a position to effectively do what I can to justify the number. But now what we want to do is we want to make sure that Armand sees in the pricing proposal areas which he can influence to help even get more. Examples might include avoid MSA red lines. Hey, if you, if you don't engage with a, a, a legal process, I can get you some points. Hey, if you get a multi-year, right, maybe I'm showing you a two-year, you may get a three-year deal, I might be able to get you a couple, couple more points. Point is, is that you literally make those transparent, those trade levers that we often kind of keep to our chest and we kind of bring them up as though it's like some golden goose. No, you just put them on the page and say, look, we're both operating within the boundary of a win-win. You, and as a result, Armand now is in control of the negotiation, right? And, so and guess what? If you can't get me avoiding MSA DPA. Guess what happens? Now Armand and I are talking about what your legal process is. Hey, how do you guys buy? 
is this even a reasonable lever to have up on here, right? Now I'm beginning to unpack how we get a deal done. And as a result, we can come to the end of that call feeling good that Armand's got some asks. I've got some, some asks. It's a win-win. I'm going to take his back and I'm going to go get him the deal that he wants. He's in control. Adam, I bet there are times when customers are like, yeah, you know what? We might be able to skip that MSA redline process if you can get us whatever XYZ discount is, but like, we're not really sure. And then they feel like they're going to get the discount and then they give you two red lines. Like, what do you do in sort of that like weird edge case straddle the line situation? So in the event that my buyer does say, yeah, I, I can do this. I can buy this. We expect our customers to just simply check a box, right? We're a T's and C's company. We'll, we'll pay it forward and do the same for you. And then, of course, they come to find out, oh, nope, that's not true. <laughs> Legal absolutely has to get involved. When that happens, I will say, hey, if we can't completely avoid that process, go back to your, uh, your team and ask them for like the top two, maybe three things they just can't live without. If we can just isolate it to the things that they just cannot live without, I will use that as a carve out and I'll drop that into my order agreement under like general terms, right? And as a result, I'll still reference my online MSA DPA, but I'll give you this nice little section down here so that your legal team gets what they're after in the form of maybe two or three asks. If they come back bloody, it's going to be tough, right? This is a two-way street. I can't go back internally and keep asking for things. Most executive buyers appreciate that I'm not living in a vacuum. I've got a boss and I've got a team and I've got a process. And so if you're aligned in that thinking, it's like, here's the compromise. And uh, if you do introduce that as a step, they'll often take you up on it. And, and, and usually legal counsel will find a way, uh, but inevitably there'll always be those counsels who will just make it four, five, or six, right? And maybe you capitulate. It depends on the deal. Adam, you talk about this concept of laying out the trade levers. It sounds like red lines are one thing that you value that your prospect can give up to essentially make the deal move faster and buy themselves a discount, for example. What are the other common trade levers that you like to pull as a seller? Yeah, that's an awesome question. For me, it's about five. Um, uh, MSA DPA is one of them. Multi-year contracting is another one. Factoring in growth, right? So additional users downstream or additional consumption of data, whatever it may be for your product. A voice of customer, hey, if I can put you in touch with my marketing team, maybe we can capture a quote, right? So the marketing side. Um, my favorite is accelerated timeline. Hey, look, if we can do a deal in like the next two weeks, I've got a ton of leverage internally. And so if I can chalk up an accelerated deal versus a non-accelerated deal, that might be something that um, perhaps even trumps the fact that you have to redline your contract. And so you, this is all very fluid. It's not necessarily a completely hard-coded thing, but if you make it presentable, it gives you a chance to unpack it, and it gives your buyer an opportunity to perhaps say, oh man, I can't avoid MSA. You say, hey, listen, let's maybe go ahead and lump those points on the accelerated timeline. Let's see if we can't maybe do it in the next two or three weeks. Can we get legal support to maybe turn the contract around quickly? Because then in effect, I've actually kind of gotten what I'm after as a seller anyway which is my contract isn't just sitting on somebody's desk. I've got a champion who's going and pushing Sally Joe Legal to kind of expedite the process. Boom. Beautiful. Well, Adam, phenomenal show. We are running out of time. The clock is ticking. we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing 
Now we got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the final question is, what's one bad habit you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than that helps? The number one bad habit is not being crispy. Now, that's something that your audience knows. So I, I want to say it just so that we're on the record. That's critical. Be concise. Get to the point. Executives love it when you've given me a reason to think about this and you've given me an action that I can go do quickly. Be crispy. My number one bad habit that I coach around is uh, never break a healthy, well-engaged, multi-threaded email chain if you can avoid it. Two reasons why. One, the mental thing that happens when I am jumping into this conversation and I'm a part of a 13 or a 24 email thread is when I'm seeing this thing begin to kind of catch some steam, it's serious. This is not just a fly-by-night first team. There's something happening here. I need to make sure I'm, I'm up to snuff and I'm presented with an opportunity to go figure that out in the event that that's something that I want to go do. It's all there for me. It's informative and there's a momentum component psychologically. Um, the second part of that, of course, is when you are steering the conversation and you want to make sure that you're pointing back to things, having to go dig up old emails or asking your buyer, hey, send me over the that one thing or what was the numbers that we had discussed? If that's all in disparate places, you're going to lose time. Commit to that thread to the extent that it's offering strategic purpose. If it makes more sense that you break because you're going to bring in somebody who perhaps doesn't want to see some of the stuff that, that's happening in that thread, that's okay. But if you do it arbitrarily, somewhere in the world, a baby bird breaks a wing. So don't break email threads. Woo! Don't break evil, Freds. Don't hurt any baby birds. And don't tune off yet, because we're about to have a 60-second recap from Armand coming up soon. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Adam Wainwright include... Number one, gain yes momentum from the front end of a discovery call by laying out the pains in story form to get agreement on the pains and then later match pain to value. Number two, at the end of that first call, 
do the play-by-play recap of the strike zone of problems that you've identified and look for the nod as you do the recap. Number three, the recap email. There are a couple chapters of it. It's what we learned, how we can help, sometimes, inputs that could help us build a proposal, and the sequence of events that happen next. And then lastly, number four, at the end of the technical validation call, you need to send them an email from your sales engineer that has a big green light and it says, yes, you are low level of effort to deploy and here are the next three things we got to do. We are almost done. Alrighty, Nick, how could people help us out here? Well, if you didn't know, our wonderful friends at Clary are actually a sponsor of 30 Minutes to President's Club, and that's where Adam works. And so I'd like to be able to tell my wonderful sponsor at Clary that you all enjoyed this episode. But the only way for me to know that is if you tell me you enjoyed this episode. So if you got anything out of this episode with Adam, send me or Armand a note on LinkedIn and tell me your favorite thing from this episode so I can pass all of that along to our friends at Clary and we can make even more wonderful 30 Minutes to President's Club content for you all. See you next week. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.